Ari Rosen. I'm here with another fun-filled episode of that 4K podcast. This week's topic, we're going to talk about what uh, 4K plan providers, what they should be doing, what you know, other you know, plan providers are not doing. Um, but of course, first things first, that 4K site.com for information on all the live events. Texas Rangers, Arlington, Texas, Globe Life Field, I believe it's called, at least this week. Uh, May 3rd, we're going to have a nice conference. Don't have a guest lined up yet. Uh, we're he- waiting to hear back from Dave Valley, who uh, I always remember from the Mariners, but he's also the Rangers' voice. Don't know if he's available because it's, I think, Friday. They're on the road. Thursday afternoon is when they um, have a game. Uh, if you want to go to the game, just hit me up because uh, I know I'm going to the game at Thursday afternoon on May 2nd. June the 7th, Yankee Stadium, uh, Bronx, New York. Uh, we will be there. Uh, should be a lot of fun. And, of course, go to that 4KSite.com for further information. Sign up. 100 bucks gets you in. And uh, should be a lot of fun for both events. Uh, it was interesting. Yesterday I went to a Yankee signing show. There's a promoter who does this annual New York Yankee signing show. I'm a Mets fan. Everybody knows that. So, of course, uh, I went. my son and I went in our Mets gear. Um, only two people out of hundreds and hundreds of people said anything. Um, when I mentioned that the Mets have been to the World Series uh, uh, more recent than the Yankees, that uh, got one woman to shut up. But um, I'm just saying this because uh, I did meet uh, – I had four people on my list that we had to meet. You know, this is one of those things where they had – you know, Hideki Matsui on Saturday, and Volpe, and all of Mariano, and you, you could literally spend $10,000 if you wanted to an event, and I'm not going to spend $10,000 on a card show anymore. Uh, now that I'm more fiscally responsible and trying to save to buy another home, I'm going to be more fiscally, uh, more fiscally responsible, so, you know, I only got in on 400 bucks. So, Buck Walter, we met Manningly. Uh, Goose Gossage and Wade Boggs. And again, I only mention it because Goose Gossage was my guest at that 401k conference, the national event, the only one I ever did and the only one that I ever will do. That was at Disney World and, of course, having an event breaking the week of the pandemic. That was not a lot of fun. Um, But Goose was and uh, Wade Boggs was uh, a guest of mine. Uh, We did two events back-to-backs in St. Pete, a 401k conference and a plan sponsor forum. Plan sponsor forum, that was a one-done deal. We did get, you know, I was constantly depending on an advisor to bring in the plan sponsors. He didn't. We, were, we operate a MEP uh, and just, you know, just didn't bring in the, the, the people that I wanted to see, you know, the amounts, and so we never tried it again. It, it may make sense to try it one more time. We'll see. Uh, maybe New York. It's always a good idea. New York is a different uh, animal than uh, than other places, obviously, because I'm based in New York. But that's that about um, those events. Sign up. And uh, Wade uh, Wade did remember me barely, I think. Goose certainly did. Uh, and the running joke that I have with Goose, I've seen about – this is the third time I've seen him since 2020. And – Every time I see Goose, I said, Goose, remember that time when we closed down Disney World? And he starts laughing. So anyway, the topic at hand, doing what other 401k plan providers are not doing. And when I started my practice 13 years ago, I think people thought I was nuts. I had family members who thought I was nuts. The idea was, well, you know, if you didn't sell when you were at that Fakakta law firm, 
how do you think you're going to do now? Um, and, you know, it's one of those, how do I say it nicely? I, I don't, you know, I think people know I don't have a very good relationship with my parents anymore. I haven't talked to them in, in quite some time. And, you know, they, these were the type of people that if I was still in contact with them 13 years ago, I never would have started my own practice. They would have talked me out of it. What What's the matter with you? You can't sell. It's better to work for somebody. And, you know, my father was always the type of person, you know, it's, uh, I'll curse. He was the type of person who liked to shit comfortably. So when he got his electrical license 40 years ago, he got a partner to, you know, run a business. And my father, you know, I think he negotiated himself a very poor uh, idea for a business. Uh, I think he got like 5% of the gross of all the projects and got a nice salary, but you know, he was a licensee and then, you know, at the time you can only have one electrical license and then they increased the two and my father helped his partner get a license because he felt that he had to. And he lied on the application that his partner had the requisite, um, experience to be a licensee and my father didn't see it that you know eventually the need for his license was was it necessary and needless to say this guy who was his partner who I have bear no ill will towards I I think he's a smart businessman uh, not as smart as I think he should be but you know he had kids who were not very good students and he wanted to get them in the business and the partner's daughter was in the business. I was never in the business. I had some summer work here and there, but I never was going to be an electrician. I didn't have the physicality or the interest. But the daughter, you know, was brought into the office, and my father didn't like her. And, you know, maybe she was a liar. She was this, this, and that. And my father got into a fight with her. And needless to say, you know, my father said some things, and my father got to sit in the office. And eventually I had to sue his partner. But because he didn't... He refused to nego he refused to do an accounting as I begged him for years and years. You know, when he made the lawsuit in two thousand, the statute of limitations means that uh, the years nineteen eighty four to nineteen ninety four weren't covered. So neither here nor there. Um, so again, uh, I'm going off track. But when I started my practice thirteen years ago, um, you know, again, I bet on myself, um, and uh, I don't like to shit comfortably. And one of the things you know, that uh, I looked at is I looked at what the other, you know, law firms were doing, um, you know, billing by the hour. And I, I like flat fee billing. That's from my TPA experience. You know, I'll charge, I don't have to raise the price of my plain document over the last 25 years because technology allows me to do it quicker. I no longer have to print it out, have it binded, mail it, all that kind of stuff, which takes too much time. I can just email the document. It's in a PDF. They can sign it, send it back. Boom, 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 boom. There's no reason to increase the pricing. And if, you know, if you're doing a document, you know, and it doesn't take you that long, it doesn't take me, you know, five, six hours of work, that flat fee billing, I don't have to fudge my hours. The client knows up front how much I'm charging, and, and that's it. So, again, I looked at what other law firms were doing. And there's a funny story when I was leaving that for Cocktail Law Firm, um, I had a friend of mine tell me to talk to another law firm and, you know, uh, they said to pay my $150,000 salary 
I'd have to bring in $400,000 worth of business. And my thinking was, if I could bring in $400,000 worth of business, why do I need you guys? And I don't, you know, I'm not much of a socialist, but taking my 400 and carving it away and only giving me 150 just doesn't work out. It doesn't work for me, brother. And um, again, so starting my own practice, flat fee building, drafting articles to build goodwill with plant providers to, you know, for them to use it and recruit and retain uh, clients. Uh, that's how it started. And how could plant providers be different um, than, you know, the competition? Number one is being clear on fees. Now, I was one of those guys back in 2010 said, you know, we need fee disclosure. Uh, James Holland and I, I always throw his name out there. That's how I met James Holland back in like 2010 when I started my practice. We were calling for it, and there were plan providers that were pushing for it, and they didn't need the fee disclosure regulations to push for it. So, um, you know, they were ahead of the curve. They went fully transparent when the rest of the business did not. They had a, what I thought was a, a leap on the competition. And if we saw anything with 2012 on, or even before 2012, when they announced the regs before, I think in 11 maybe, we saw a lot of plant providers exit the business, a lot of the insurance providers. They realized that they couldn't function in a fully transparent environment. Um, you know, I will always joke that I, I, I love that whole march towards fee disclosure in 2012 because we had a lot of plant providers and a lot of industry experts who said, this is going to be bad for business. People are only going to pick the lowest uh, cost provider. Uh, there's going to be a race to zero and plant sponsors are not going to want to deal with the, uh, the fee disclosures and they're just going to terminate the plans. Chicken Little, the sky is falling, and, you know, 11, 12 years later, almost in June, it's been 12 years. Um, there, you know, we still have a business. The business still exists. It's thriving. Uh, fees did shrink, I think, a lot because of transparency. Increased the competition. Obviously, technology um, also makes it more cost-effective. You don't have to charge as much when you have, you know, uh, technology is just certainly... Uh, decrease the pricing. Uh, I think, in my opinion, going to electronic disclosure changed that as well. It cut down on costs. But I think the biggest mistake of fee disclosure was the uh, not creating a template for a sta one standard on fees. One of the things I like about, you know, I'm always trying to lose weight. It's, it's one of those things when you, you know, uh, I'm sure people in the audience, and I know one guy in particular, you lose a lot of weight. Uh, and you're focused on not gaining it back. And it's easy to lose weight. It's easy to lose 40 pounds. I've done it twice. It's harder to keep, um, you know, consistent and not gain the weight back. So one of the things I like about foods are we have, you know, the FDA has this requirement that we have a standard label. So if you pick up a box of Cheerios or pick a box of Fruit Loops or a box of, uh, you know, Oreos, um, there's a standard format. So you can figure out what's the carbs, what's the sodium, the percentage value, the daily value, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we have that standard thing still on, on loans, the whole uh, uh, truth in, in lending. Uh, we have that on cars. I mean, it's a standard sticker envo uh, invoice. Invoice. That you know lists the features of the car and the pricing and all that stuff, which reminds me, I talked about I just finished an article when I was talking about etched glass. Uh, well, 
So I'll talk about that again in about a month when uh, we do a broadcast uh, podcast of that uh, article. But, you know, I like the uniformity. And I wish that fee disclosure had that, you know, that standard form. And I think that I'd like to see plan providers out there have a one-page format of forms that just spells it out in English. This is what we're paying, and that's it. And we put it down there, and we don't need a forensic accountant to figure out how much uh, plan sponsors are paying. That's how I see it. Um, you know, I just think that uh, if you break down fees in a language that plan sponsors can understand, and you do it in such a manner where it's so easy for them to figure it out, you're one head of the game, in my opinion. You know, less is more, and breaking down fees like Earl Scheib used to do, uh, if you understand the reference, Earl Scheib, you know, uh, I forget how much cheap it was to paint, his, paint the car, but Earl Scheib did these commercials, and uh, it was a big, uh, you know, they were uh, competitors to Mako, and uh, I think Earl Scheib did pass away, and it was only recently when I was writing, writing the article that inspired this podcast that I find out that Earl Scheib was Jewish. And one of the funniest things, if you are Jewish, one of the things is you like to find out who other people are Jewish. Because, listen, there's only like 16 million of us. You like to figure out, you know, who's Jewish, who's not, who's who's Jewish and dead and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's, you know, watch an NHL game and we'll hear a Jewish name and my wife will say, is, is that guy Jewish? And so uh, there's a guy at the Bruins, uh, Jeremy... Uh, uh, somebody in the audience will figure it out. Jeremy Swayman or whatever. He's a goalie, and we're still trying to figure out if he's Jewish or not because his father's from Brooklyn, and uh, we're still trying to figure that out. People include him on the Jewish like NHL uh, uh, web pages. But anyway, focusing on the fiduciary process—that's I think another thing that a lot of plan providers aren't doing. I think everybody talks too much about fees. Uh, I know why we do it. Um, you know, fee disclosure is such a big deal these days. Uh, we really didn't have that race to zero as we thought. Um, I don't think the plan sponsors are going to leave their plan provider and go across the street for $5 less. That's how I see it. Um, I don't know if being the cheapest is the greatest selling point. Many years ago before I started this version of the Rosenbaum Law Firm, the full-time version, the Rosenbaum Law Firm was incorporated in 20, actually 2000. It's my 28th birthday. And uh, I did it as a side gig. My employers didn't know. I did wills. Uh, I did you know anything but 401k plans. And I did it. I thought I could develop a business where we'd be the Walmart of legal services. You know, I would advertise you know wills for a hundred bucks. Well, it was a flop. Uh, it was a flop because people weren't going to an attorney based on cost, just like people don't go to a doctor based on cost. And so I don't think that you know being the cheapest is such a great idea and such a great marketing tool um, you know people are willing to pay more if they get better service uh, I've been using the same mechanic for 25 years uh, I don't think uh, I mean somebody across the street I hear from people oh he's expensive but Ralph is great um, I got a flat doesn't charge me it, it, it's those little things and it adds up and there might be cheaper mechanics out there but there's nobody who's more honest than uh, Ralph and, uh, you know, uh, obviously, if you have high fees, good chance you're, uh, you know, you're going to get fired. But, uh, you know, I, I think that too many plan providers give kind of short shrift to the fiduciary process. Um, you know, we can talk about, uh, to me, I think the fiduciary process that plan sponsors don't 
focus on and plan providers is educating plan participants. Um, I think that that is one big part of the plan that, you know, I joke 25 years in the business, the one thing that I think hasn't changed is that enrollment education meeting. It is as boring as ever. Uh, and I say that generally because there are plan providers who do a really good job with it. Um, educating participants is, is a big deal to me. Uh, it gets them more involved. More importantly, it reduces the plan sponsor's liability in the risk of 404C. You know, when we went to daily valued 401k plans back in you know, late 90s because technology was catching up and the mutual fund companies were go, 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 you know, throwing money out, out and rev share and all that kind of stuff. And the money flowed, uh, you know, the selling point was the risk of 404C is going to limit liability for plan sponsors from losses sustained by plan participants. Problem was most plans didn't have an IPS. Most plans didn't have an advisor who was you know, working with them on an IPS and reviewing funds and having meetings and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, my old law firm that forcocked the law firm. Um, and, uh, you know, we had a, a fund lineup that wasn't updated for 10 years because we didn't have an advisor for 10 years. Those are problems. Those are glaring problems. You know, I could read Morningstar profiles. Most of my fellow employees couldn't. Uh, again, I always mention the fellow employee who invested 100% mid-cap funds because his reasoning was it's the middle of the market. But, you know, bud, that's not how mid-cap funds work. Uh, mid-cap funds don't have Amazon, Apple, ExxonMobil, um, Philip Morris, you know, some all these, you know, companies, MGM, uh, and it's just I'm like announcing all the stocks I have investments in, but that's not investment advice. I want to clarify. Um, you know, if I was a TPA or an advisor, I would focus on the fiduciary process, participant engagement, um, make it interesting, make it exciting, make it fun. Uh, you could even make it like a game show. Make it, you know, bribe people with uh, Amazon gift cards because you got that de minimis uh, exception for uh, getting people to defer. Uh, as part of the Secure Act, Secure 2.0, so that's how I see it. Social media, I still think most plan providers don't do a great job with it. Uh, Shauna Ohm, who I had on my uh, virtual conference a couple weeks ago, she was fantastic. Um, and I was asking her about like these things on social media that really drive me nuts. Um, years ago, when I worked at the Fakakta Law Firm, uh, I wanted to you know, I, I was on LinkedIn, but I wanted to post. I want to post my articles. I wanted to get involved in the groups. And because I was using that for Cockle Law Firm's name, I could do that. We had a partner. At the time, he wasn't a partner. He, he became a partner. And he was the advertising committee of one. And he said that posting on LinkedIn was advertising. The guy never drew a dime of business. Uh, and he was wrong. Social media isn't advertising. If it's advertising, it's done wrong. Social media is about um, raising a profile, putting out content that you know has people um, understand that uh, you know you're somebody serious. Um, you know, I, again, uh, I always tell the story. James Holland called me out of the blue in 2010, liked what I had to say, but I always say he called me up to make sure I wasn't a maniac. Uh, to make sure that I knew what I was talking about and that I was somebody that he can, you know, over time 
build trust. And the worst thing I always find is these unsolicited emails that I get or unsolicited LinkedIn messages. Uh, I hate the unsolicited emails where someone's trying to sell me a, a legal uh, attorney product that I don't need. They do it without like a safe unsubscribe button. Um, you get these LinkedIn invitations all the time. Um, you know, the worst are usually to me the advisors who just want don't want to, you know, network with me. They just want to sell me on their advisory business, you know, advisory services. First of all, I manage my own money. And second, if I'm too big where I need a financial advisor, I think I'm going to pick somebody that I've worked with over the past 25 years. That's how I see it. So, um, you know, uh, I have a, you know, I, I use the constant contact emails. I use the articles, constant contact emails. You get like an 18 to 20% read through. Um, you know, the whole idea of, you know, LinkedIn to me was business networking. Um, you know, I, the, you get these emails and they're trying to sell you leads and they think you're a negligence attorney when you're not. I mean, it's just annoying. Um, you know, it's all about, in my opinion, social media, you know, short, quick articles, um, even video content, which is something that I should be doing. Short little, you know, YouTube videos. I see a lot of people doing it. Um, I mean, the retireholics or, you know, somebody that, I, you know, I always say, I wish I came up with that idea. Um, and, but, you know, most plant providers don't have great ideas like that. Most plant providers, you know, they, they look, you know, they print something out, send out an email that looks like it's something out of the 1980s or it's written in a language that nobody can understand. I write in English, not Aristides, uh, and that's, you know, been successful for me. So, uh, you know, my InDesign training uh, came in handy. Um, back in college, the program was known as PageMaker. Yeah, PageMaker. I had PageMaker. Law school, I had Quark Express. Uh, I prefer PageMaker, I think, over Quark. I don't even know if they still make Quark, but PageMaker is now InDesign. It's still a great software. Uh, and, you know, while I do it myself, but of course, you know, there are people out there like Shauna who work with TPAs, financial advisors, people in the retirement plan business, and I suggest that you hook up with somebody like her. Uh, Sherry uh, Fitz is another example. She's great, too. So I think that it's smart to, you know, if you need help, pick somebody that obviously has experience in the retirement plan business. Next, uh, Zoom webinars and meetings. Um, you know, I got a subscription like everybody else after uh, the pandemic broke in spring 2020. I, uh, I still have it. Use it for the National Virtual Conference, that 401k bunch, which I hope to do again. It's just one of those things where life gets in the way of scheduling these Zoom sessions and meetings and all that. So, uh, you know, the pandemic, again, like I said, uh, we closed off that national conference on a Wednesday by Sunday. I remember taking the plane ride back and the NBA suspended their season. And Friday was the last day my kids were in school for that year. And Sunday the park closed. So got a Zoom subscription, did a national, I did, well, I did a virtual conference, I want to say in April. We had 300 people attend. Um, you know, because, you know, I didn't know if we were, you know, the events in St. Louis and Houston, Minnesota that were scheduled were on hold. We redid them. We redid them. We did them again in 2021. We, we did have those events. 
Uh, got a good attendance at Houston, St. Louis, and Minnesota. Was not happy with the attendance. It is what it is. But uh, with the virtual event, we had 300, uh, 300 you know, advisors, uh, TPAs, and whatnot. And of course, the more you have it, the, the the attendance goes down. So, you know, you you get like a virtual conference this year. You got seventy five people attend, and uh, you know, a whole bunch of people watch it on YouTube. Um, you know, someone you know, I've hosted uh, so many conferences at Major League Baseball parks, quite a, a few at National Football League stadiums. Uh, I will say that virtual events are so much cheaper to host. You don't have to provide food. You don't have to provide the venue. Uh, people could come in and out, uh, and they work. Um, and I found um, that you know it's inexpensive, in my opinion. I think my subscription is 150 bucks a month. Uh, I wish I had more time to do more things on Zoom, and I think that that's something that I'm going to have to do. Uh, it's there; it shouldn't be there for just once a year. So uh, we we'll have to do that, and you know, to me, Zoom webinars and meetings are more cost-effective, better way to get business than those cheesy mass emails. And again, you know, you get a YouTube account; that stuff's free. You immediately take that Zoom meeting or webinar and you post it on YouTube. So if people can't meet, you know, can't see the live event. It's always there for posterity and for people to view. And um, that's just how I see it. And um, it's uh, it's something interesting that you know should really think about. It gets people involved, uh, and you know get good speakers. Uh, believe me, I've I've run events. Uh, well, I, I I've never really ran an event at that foreign K conference where I'm like, wow, that that presenter was really bad. I just remember this time when uh, if you think of the worst birthdays you ever had in your life, I had a birthday. In Kansas City, because I had that foreign K conference, um, and that was fine. Uh, but I did have a—I remember a, a birthday part, a birthday when I was taking my criminal law exam. So it was the second worst birthday I ever had. The worst birthday I ever had was driving to and from Albany for a union conference to talk about ERISA, and I wasn't even the main speaker. I, I the other partner in the firm who wasn't an ERISA attorney. Uh, he took out like one of those ERISA basics books and, you know, like thought, you know, acting as if it was the Bible. He was terrible. He was a terrible speaker. Might have been a good attorney, terrible speaker. He had the personality of a dead dog. And uh, when it came time for it and the reviews came in, we had one of the lowest rating, lowest rated seminars that the union had that weekend. So uh, if you ask me what was my least favorite birthday, that would be my 37th birthday, where uh, I had to go to Albany to and from, and it was a Saturday. It was even worse. It wasn't fun, uh, but that's that. Uh, but anyway, um, hope you enjoyed this episode of that 4K podcast. Tune in next week for another fun-filled episode of that 4K podcast. Thank you.